Everyone has a story. Stories of adversity, stories of perseverance, stories of accomplishments, and maybe even stories that will make others laugh. No matter the story, we can be inspired and motivated by them. Most of all, we can learn from them. This is the Big Peach Ride Run Podcast, hosted by me, Dave D2 Martinez, and I want to hear your story. Welcome to the Big Peach Ride and Run Podcast, and yes, I am your host, uh, D2, and, uh, you know, thank you for uh, tuning in, and if you've uh, listened to previous episodes, you know, I want to thank you for that. I hope we're providing some uh, some great stories, some interesting content, things that will motivate and inspire you uh, and help you on your journey. Uh, today, uh, this is episode 134, and uh, release date here is uh, October 17th, and uh, of course, I'm working ahead of release schedule in these tapings, and um, you know, um, I want to introduce you to uh, 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 this week's guest, and he's someone that I followed, um, actually met him at Ironman uh, Chattanooga, and we kind of been following each other through social media. And this is back in 2014. And I think that's the last time I, I saw him. Um, I think we were in line together to either get our, you know, check our bikes in or do something and, uh, or maybe at the merchandise uh, tent and, uh, and spoke to him uh, prior to the race. And he's been uh, part of the Atlanta cycling community, you know, prior to that, I think he was a mechanic at some local shops here. And, um, you know, he, after that, uh, several years later, I think he moved out to Colorado. So he's out in Telluride, Colorado. And I've since have followed him through social media and have seen him share his story. His name's Josh Wigley, and he's made, uh, quite a bit of changes in his life. He, uh, he's now three years sober. Uh, he's changed his mindset. He has done some things that, uh, you know, you probably wouldn't believe. Uh, I mean, learning that he actually, you know, raced Ironman Chattanooga hungover, um, that he uh, hiked the majority of the Appalachian Trail, um, you know, uh, you know, you know, drunk. And, you know, he's since has changed his, his, his mindset, he's gotten help. And most recently he, uh, attempted his, he, you know, did a second attempt at the Leadville 100 mountain bike race. And, you know, a couple of years ago he, he attempted it, didn't make it. And so he just did it this year, finished it. And we're talking about, you know, over 13,000 feet of elevation gain and over 105 miles. So a very tough and challenging, you know, course, and he's going to share his story and we'll talk more about that. But since we're on the topic of cycling, because we are the Big Peach Ride and Run podcast, I want to catch up a little bit on some of the things that have happened this year um, in cycling, because it has been a, a, a sort of kind of exciting year for cycling, actually the past two years. And this is primarily um, in the women's, um, you know, uh, races, because there's some things that have uh, have happened over the last two years that have sort of kind of elevated women's sports and uh, women's cycling. And that started, um, you know, actually last year in, in 2021, you know, one of the oldest uh, races um, is Paris, uh, Paris Roubaix, and it is you know one of the toughest courses. It's one of the oldest races. Started in 1896, and it's a race that is done on rough terrain and cobblestones, and it's also known as Hell the North. And 
you know, in 2021 was the first time that the women's Paris Roubaix or Paris Roubaix Femmes um, was actually held. And typically it's held in, in April. I think uh, in 2021 it's held in uh, October just because of the pandemic. And um, so that was pretty historic to have the first women's Paris Roubaix Femmes take place. And that, uh, you know, uh, race was won by Lizzie Deegan, uh, from Trek Segafredo. And, uh, you know, I was able to catch some of this year's race, uh, primarily through YouTube and just catching up on some of the highlights and, and some of the videos. Um, but 2022 was, uh, Elisa Longo Borghini. And I love that name. It just rolls off the tongue. And I think, you know, I think some of these cyclists just have this name that just sort of fits cycling, but she's also with, uh, Trek Segafredo and just had a, a phenomenal race. Um, and I actually, for those of you that are interested in learning a little bit more about the history of Paris Roubaix and um, a little bit of the women's history in getting to Paris Roubaix and what you know has happened um, through that race, there's a YouTube video called Grit and Race and it was actually produced by Specialized Bicycles. And I'll provide that link uh, in the show notes, but you can easily uh, search um, Paris Roubaix Femmes, F-E-M-M-E-S, or um, Grit and Race, um, and you'll you'll find this video, and it's sort of it's a you know 22, 23 minute video that sort of kind of gives you a little bit of the background and history of um, Paris Roubaix and uh, some of the things that are kind of elevating women's cycling. And, and it's really, it's, it's I, th I think it's actually been a little bit more exciting than the men's race, um, but it's a very historic race, and to see women now being represented and being covered through media, um, as well as the men's, I think it's, it's great for the sport. And we're just going to see more and more of that. So, and then of course, the biggest race, the most well-known race is the Tour de France. And this year they had the Tour de France Femmes avec Zwift and, uh, Zwift is the, the sponsor. And it was an eight stage race versus the 21 stage men's race. And this happened after, um, the men's race. But, you know, just a little historical background. The first women's tour was in 1955, and then it sort of kind of just, you know, there wasn't enough interest, and, you know, and there was some controversy about women in cycling, um, which if you, you know, um, you know I'll share this, this uh, video that you, you hear some of the things that are said, and you just you can't believe at, at the way that the the controversy and some of the comments that were made by some of the men's and tour organizers at that time. But it was revived again in 1984 through 2009 and, and under different names. So it wasn't really a, an official, I guess, Tour de France or, uh, you know, because I think a licensing issue and, and something along those lines. So they used different names. Um, and then until this year, 2022, they actually had an official, you know, Tour de France um, femmes um, and women's uh, race. And um, interesting enough, this is an interesting, um, you know, bit of trivia. But, you know, as I grew up, you know, and I was interested a little bit in cycling and, and you know, and especially here in the U.S., it was sort of known that Greg LeMond was the first American to win the Tour de France. And that is not accurate. It was actually a woman. It was Marianne Martin was the first American woman, or first American to win the Tour de France in 1984. Um, so a little bit of trivia there and just sort of kind of tells you a little bit of how women's sports has sort of kind of, you know, hasn't really truly been covered because these are details that are not really well known. 
And uh, so this year, you know, the race, you know, I think, you know, when it was announced last year, I think there were a lot of people that were excited about it, a lot of people anticipating and, and truly supportive of it. Um, and it seems that, you know, now that the race is passed and all that, it was highly praised by the public and media, and there were large crowds on the course and seems to have high TV viewerships, which is really important because that's where the sponsorship dollars come in. And the more people that are watching this, um, you know, the more money that's going to pour into it, the more that the sport, um, you know, for women will be elevated. Uh, um, and I think that's just going to be great um, for cycling in general. And the winner of this year's um, uh, Tour de France Femmes uh, of Ex-Wift is... Uh, if I'm, I'm going to try to pronounce this correctly because it's just, I think she's from the Netherlands, um, and Meek Van Vluten from Team Movistar. Um, and if you want to, once again, get a little bit of background and sort of kind of the history of um, of this race um, and what the women's, you know, what it took to get to the women's you know, race and a little bit more of some of these athletes that were competing this year, um, you can watch that on YouTube. It's a video, a film called uh, Tour de Force. It is um, produced by Rafa Films, uh, R-A-P-H-A. And Rafa, if you're not familiar, makes cycling apparel. So it's great to see these, you know, cycling brands, these cycling uh, companies that are um, producing these great films and documentaries to promote the sport and to document document the history of women's cycling. So, and I'll share a link with that for that in the show notes, but, uh, you know, I just think it's important to kind of cover everything. And I, and I, you know, the men's get enough coverage and I just feel like let's focus a little bit on the women's coverage of sports and try to elevate that sport. Um, you know, um, so I won't get into the men's, the men's of course race was exciting this year. I think it's, you know, some of the comments I heard were, this was probably one of the most exciting men's races, uh, you know, um, over the last several years. And I would agree with that. And like I said, I follow a lot of this stuff now. Um, like I said, I'm not a diehard fan. I don't understand all of it and all the tactics, but because I'm trying to get more into cycling and, and, and be a little bit better informed of what's going on in the cycling community and, 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 and racing. Um, I've been watching some of this, um, coverage, at least the abbreviated coverage through YouTube videos and the highlights and all that. So if you're interested, go to YouTube and do a search and you can also kind of get, uh, you know, uh, caught up on some of the exciting things that are happening in cycling. So um, we're going to talk to Josh um, and kind of learn more about his story, kind of what uh, he's done through his life and what he's kind of changed over the last several years to truly turn his life around um, and to, you know, really improve himself and hopefully you get a, a, you know a few tidbits and, and and some great information and some you know inspiration and motivation to help you on your journey and we'll have that uh you know josh right after this break at big peach running company we know that not everyone identifies themselves as a runner running isn't about a start or finish line it's not about time or pace it's freedom it's a break it's time for yourself we take pride in listening to your needs we make sure you get the right shoes so you can get back to enjoying your time. Big Peach Running Company has been voted as one of the best running stores in America by people like you. Visit us at any of our seven metro Atlanta area locations or visit us at bigpeachrunningco.com. 
Welcome back. So um, I'm excited and really, uh, you know, pumped uh, to have Josh Wigley here with us. Um, you know, we met um, through here in Atlanta. He now lives out in Colorado in the Telluride area. And um, we met here um, years ago, I think, at, if, you know, back when I was doing triathlons and we actually competed and, you know, uh, at the Ironman, uh, you know, uh, here in Chattanooga, the inaugural year, which is 2014. That was like my first, you know, legitimate uh, Ironman race. Um, I'd done one previously up in uh, Cedar, uh, Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio, which it wasn't an Ironman branded race. So Chattanooga was it. That was the culmination. After that, I did that race, retired. But Josh did that race as well. And, uh, you know, we never really caught up to see kind of how things kind of went. But, you know, his story, I believe, is is very interesting. And uh, I think it's something that, uh, you know, he could share kind of his journey, his transformation, what he's gone through, where others can, you know, maybe get some pointers, learn some things, and, uh, and you know, we can all be better for it. So welcome to the podcast, Josh. I appreciate that. And, and thank you for the introduction. And, and, and I'll jump into that, like, uh, just kind of circle back to 2014. Uh, my body type was obviously different. Um, there's been a lot of transformation journey for me. Uh, I was a, I was a, you know, a heavy alcoholic for about 12 years. And, you know, luckily I, I had a little bit of athletic ability and, and decent genetics to, to push me through that, you know, I'd, I'd been a lifetime athlete before that and, uh, fell in love with the bicycle very early and started working in bike shops, um, at least part-time at about 17 years old. And just absolutely adored the industry. And through, uh, you know, a lot of back in, a lot of back in kind of, uh, I, I grew up a little rougher life and, uh, you know, with, with addicts in my household, full-blown drug addicts and, and, and other, other turbulence uh, throughout my childhood, which kind of shaped my path as an adult very early on and, and began in a lot of heavy drinking and, it, it definitely changed a lot of relationships the older I got. And uh, when I was when I was training for that Ironman, I, I think that the, the training now and tra training then was completely different. I thought I was doing this amazing job and, you know, training so hard. And looking back, I, I, I really wasn't doing a great job. And I was, I was kind of half-aying it all the way through. And luckily, uh, I, I had enough fortitude to, to finish that, that Ironman event, but I honestly didn't belong there. Uh, I think I did it hungover. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't a great, it was a really terrible finish time. I was, you know, there was a mild industry, in, injury there too, but uh, it was like 16 hours. So uh, obviously uh, the fitness wasn't where, it, it, in theory, it should be. It was just enough to get me through. So that... That uh, learning experience took me into Leadville. So I had this this bravado and this ego. I was like, okay, well, I can do this. I can I can chomp off at Leadville. So a couple years later, in 2016, I took a shot at Leadville, and it was kind of the same thing. I think I'm doing this amazing training, and I'm drinking every single day uh, to the point where you're you know there's alcohol in your car, which is you know not make does not make a lot of people happy, right? And completely understand why. So this kind of give you a, a picture of how dark that side of the alcoholism was where you're drinking full stop every single day. So I get to Leadville and, you know, I, I invest in all this money in this oxygen machine, I, you know, super nice bike and uh, spend about 
twelve thousand bucks on the whole thing. I think it was, and, and honestly, at that point, fitting bikes on a you know a bike fitter's uh, you know income that probably wasn't the best financial decision I ever made either. So, um, anyways, Leadville absolutely kicked me in the teeth. I think I made it to Twin Lakes a little bit up Columbine, and it quickly reminded me that I shouldn't be there, and then I I didn't train hard enough. So, uh, I took that loss pretty heavily. And then in 2017, later that year, I got a friend, I got a, uh, a lot of people that watch this podcast will probably know this gentleman is uh, Luis Prado, uh, called me and said, he asked me that I want to do a section hike in the Appalachian Trail. And I, I told him, I was like, you know what, I, I think I want to do a through hike. And, uh, you know, I, I attempted that through hike, it, it changed my life. I, um, from a purist standpoint, I'm not a through hiker. I, I did walk 2000 miles from Georgia to Maine. I did miss about 170 miles, so I always like to throw that in there because there's a lot of purists in the, it's a, get a very close knit community <laughs> and they're very serious about it. Yeah. So I always want to be honest about that. Um, but uh, Luis kind of started that journey, and it was something he loved to do, and he shared that passion with me. And I got back from the the Appalachian Trail, and uh, mid September, and I came home and I just wasn't the same. Like it, it kind of like something had started at that point. And if I look back at it now, it was kind of my road to recovery. Um, now, I didn't get sober for another, you know, three years, two or three years after that. But it really started the process. We moved to Colorado on the Front Range uh, in South Denver. I started riding more again. I was, at that point, I was 250 pounds. Like, I went from kind of like I look now to just morbidly, I mean, it, you know, you lose your breath tying your shoes. So I know what that aspect of it feels like. And, um, and, and then I, uh, I come to some crossroads at work where, you know, I was drinking actively and everybody knows I was drinking. They were very kind to me. And they stated that, Hey, this is a problem in your life. And, you know, I started reviewing that internally and got some help. And, uh, since that day, you know, I reached out and I went to kind of like a, uh, an outpatient program where it's like, you know, 16 weeks where you go twice, three times a week. And it just kind of, you know, I, I really hadn't had a desire to do anything outside because my quality of life changed so much. And my, like in, in the first several months, my mental acuity came back and, you know, I'm, I'm doing this job, which is, a, a, I, I love fitting bikes and I was in love with the cycling industry, but I was doing it because I was complacent. It was easy. I could do it blindfolded. Mm -hmm. And um, as I start taking this journey of not drinking on, so, uh, you know, my first trip, uh, my first sober trip, I was the big through hiking the Tahoe Rim Trail. And I did that and it was, you know, 171, 177 miles. And it was just, um, it was, I had to do it in two phases because I didn't have enough time. So I came back and, and did it again, fell in love with Tahoe. I just absolutely adored it. And then, you know, I, Leadville was still on my mind. So last year, you couldn't, there was a, there was the COVID thing and you couldn't get into Leadville unless you'd already been there. So I decided to paddleboard Lake Tahoe all the way around. Wow. And, um, and uh, that was way more than I thought it was going to be. That was way, way, way tougher than I anticipated. Um, but we got it done. Uh, and there was a lot of smoke and, you know, they had the fires in Tahoe, but there's, you know, since that sobriety period, you know, not only has my you know, athletics improved, but my professional life has improved too. Uh, you know, I went from, you know, a guy that directs bike fit stuff to 
a guy that, uh, you know, runs the biggest market for a major corporation as far as vacation rentals. So, you know, it's, it's a testament to kind of what alcohol does to some people. I'm not saying that does it to everybody, but in my particular case, it, it was definitely my kryptonite for a very long time. Well, especially since you said you have kind of sort of kind of a ha- family history, right? You know, you had, you know, um, that growing up and you were probably s- surrounded by it. That was definitely super prevalent. Uh, you know, you know, my family, d- direct immediate family members, you know, my father died from alcoholism. My mother died from other addictions, uh, definitely a, a lot heavier uh, substances that, you know, she had she had ran through her life. And I kind of lived with all my family members and and, uh, you know, had a, I definitely had a colorful childhood. Simultaneously, I did have a great job, like a good country childhood and, uh, you know, sw- swimming in creeks and, 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 you know, four-wheeler riding and stuff like that. So there was, I had a lot of good aunts and uncles and, and grandparents that kind of, you know, helped perpetuate me and, and gave me the life lessons that I needed to, you know, to have a little bit of business acumen and emotional intelligence for other people. And, and honestly, uh, kind of my colorful childhood gave me a unique skill set of emotional intelligence because I have, you know, I have employees that um, that are just coming into this country, right? And, and, and they're setting their life up and they're having these unique struggles. And, and I've had parallel struggles, on, you know, on the other side of a demographic where I know what it's like to, to sit in a house with no heat, no power, no food. And uh, so you gain this knowledge that, is invaluable uh, that that helps you help other people, and and that's kind of what I've shaped it since I became sober. That's kind of how I've shaped my dynamic and my you know my leadership skills. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you know having that background offers a unique perspective that maybe other people don't have. I think it allows you to have empathy and understanding and and be able to relate to their circumstances you know a lot better you know than someone that maybe you know had everything available to them that didn't struggle, that didn't really have to work uh, or, or, you know, really to, to earn, you know, what they have. And it was provided to them. Um, you had mentioned, you know, uh, a, a bit about, you know, kind of that change in mindset because, um, you know, you, you obviously, and I saw some of this through your, your uh, social media, you know, dealing with negativity and, you know, and also kind of that self-reflection and just kind of looking inwards um, because I, th- I think that's, you know, it's not something that I think that's easy to do. Um, I think it's a lot of times it's something that not maybe everyone should do more often because uh, we tend to blame others, you know, for the circumstances or the situation that we're in. Um, and we don't take responsibility. So, you know, can you speak a little bit about that and how, how you know, that kind of helped you on, you know, in, in your journey and, and how you achieved that? Absolutely. So I read this quote. It was either the day I was yesterday, or the day before. Even though you may fail, you're you're not a failure until you blame others. So you can you can take a situation. Uh, let's just say the situation that I have, and there are people that have it way worse. Uh, is it, subjective and relative, right? So uh, for a long time, I blamed my life's communications on things that other people did or, or what they were responsible for in my early childhood that, you know, may not have met those expectations that the general public sees as normal. 
And I let that be my negative fuel for a long time. And that was my excuse. Like, you know, that's, that's how I prepared. Well, it's just because of this. And, and I was making myself unknowingly a failure um, by using the excuses. You can also take a situation, see the silver linings and, and the lessons in each one of those things. And you learn how to not to treat people and you learn what not to do. And, and you know how it was to be on this other side. So that emotional intelligence, you know, helps you with other individuals. But as long as you're projecting out, as opposed to projecting in, uh, you're, you're definitely gonna you're gonna feel that. And any, if in my opinion, if you haven't dealt with certain traumas and 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 you kind of go through them through stages, and not to say that I, you know, have have faced everything that I have, you know, all the skeletons in my closet, but let's just say I've come to terms with a lot of them and. If you you permeate that negative energy uh, in, in your self-doubts and insecurities, and it, it is thick, and other people can see it, and, you know, you start selling, and, 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 I, and I did that kind of quick, you know, I, you start selling your brand of BS to people, and you really believe it. Like, you're like, this is why I'm, this is, I failed at this, this is why, and the people that buy it initially just don't know you, or they feel sorry for you. Um, so if they continue to buy your BS, it's like they feel sorry for you or they love you. And, and there's, there's really no combination because after a while, let's just say, I, I, you know, I was, I was feeding a, a bunch of BS a day. It's, it's going to stop showing up just simply because it's not worth it in his life plan to deal with somebody else's insecurities and somebody else's trauma. Dave's got his own traumas. He's got his own insecurities and he, and he has his own things that he's dealing with. So as long as you're blaming other people, you're—I mean—that's a roadblock in itself. When you start trying to get a little bit better every day, uh, and in improving, just just that general—some people say one percent. I'll take 0.01 percent better than I was yesterday. I'm okay with a hundred. Uh, just as long as I'm trying to make an effort, and and a lot of people use motivation, and you're hearing this more clearly from Jocko Willink and like an echelon front if you're reading reading leadership books like motivation is temporary discipline is where you you really start to grow discipline and accountability nobody wants to get up at 445 man like mm -hmm. you know like you don't you don't want to take that via that 10 mile run that it seems so good when you were planning it in the beginning of the week but now it's friday now it's go time and you you want to go to dinner somebody's invited you out but if you put your head down shut out the outside noise and focus on yourself you're really going to grow but everything has a penalty to it so there's sacrifices that are going to be made maybe you're not as social as you once were because you're focused on yourself and you may lose some friends because of that um you know people really want you to give them your attention when you're around them and when you stop doing that some sometimes the relationships are, are sacrificed well, I mean, I, I think also if if you're if you're a person that is holding on to that negativity, then people don't want to be around that either. You know, they're they're going to find ways to avoid you know you that circumstance. Um, you know, maybe they won't pick up the phone or respond to an email as as quickly um, as they were, maybe were you know had in the past. So, uh, you know, I think those things are, you know, and I, and, you know, I can, 
relate to what you're saying because I know that I've been through some some parts in my life where there's been negativity, um, you know, from me, and and I could say, well, I, you know, I can easily say, yes, I blame others, you know. I mean, I've, you know, I was basically let go from a previous job that I thought I would have for a very long time, and, you know, looking back at it, you know, now, and I didn't see it then, I was like, you know what, maybe it was a good thing. Maybe I wasn't the, had the right attitude. Maybe I was a little bit negative. At the same time, I look back at it and go, well, there was probably a reason why I was negative. I just couldn't voice it. I didn't know how to process it. I didn't know how to communicate it. I, I couldn't control it, you know? And um, I think those are things that now, as I'm older, I can go back and look at and, and kind of, do better at self-reflection at those past circumstances. And even now there's times where I kind of try to look back and go, all right, I'm like, you know, am I feeling a certain way because it's just me being negative? Is there a specific reason because, you know, the relationship or the interaction I had with a particular person or an individual or a situation, am I being truly honest or am I, am I just reacting to the situation because I don't want to take ownership that it might be me. So I, I think, you know, that's why, you know, when I started l seeing what you were kind of posting, it just made me sort of like, I need to have you on the podcast. Because I think we need to be better, I think, at looking inwards um, to better ourselves, whether it's for personal, professional, um, you know, um, you know, situations. I think it's, it's we can benefit, by, you know, from that looking inward a bit. So, you know, really appreciate you kind of opening up and, and uh, sharing your thoughts on that and kind of what your uh, journey has been. So, um, you know, you mentioned, uh, I want to kind of go back because you mentioned the paddleboard around Lake Tahoe. How long mm -hmm. did that take? Well, uh, technically five days. Uh, there was some crazy, I, Tahoe will have five foot waves and I didn't think that that was possible. <laughs> But it is very possible. I spent a I spent an entire day paddling on my knees through ma massive waves, uh, and I didn't get very far. Uh, so it took technically on site three days. Um, some people do it a couple that are our people do it a day if they're like ultra uh, crazy people. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to. I, I was going to. You know, I, I took camping gear and I you know I camped around the lake and found these amazing things. But there was two days of storms where. I camped on a beach that you weren't supposed to camp on, but they locals politely told me several times. Um, but you know, I was kind of, I was stranded there. Uh, right. I couldn't go anywhere. Like I, we can't carry like, you know, 50 pounds a year, your paddleboard a mile up and, and get it. Like it was, so I was there. Um, but it, it took me three days and I actually listened to Goggins book. Uh, can't hurt me when I was doing that. And, what fuel that thing was. Uh, that was an incredible book to be listening to while you're paddling. Well, I, I bet because, I mean, that's the one thing where I would think of, you know, if, if you sort of kind of have expectations like, oh, well, this should take X amount of time, you know, it, maybe it's two days or three days or whatever, and then you encounter bad weather or, you know, and you're camping, I'm guessing that you have sort of that negative negative thoughts start kind of come in, right? Where you're either thinking about quitting, thinking about, well, will I ever get this done? How long will it take me? And you start kind of maybe um, getting down on yourself a little bit, right? There's not an event that I've ever done that takes more than five hours that I didn't want to quit at some point. <laughs> um, 
you know, I, I go back to a, a great athlete that you know, uh, Ashley King, and I were doing the Georgia Grand Fondo many moons ago. I think I was, it was eight years ago. It was 109 miles out of Clayton, and you know, I'm, yeah, I, I was a little chalky then too, and and she was a fit athlete, and she's dragging me around the mountains up north Georgia, and uh, and I wanted to, it was it took us nine hours because of me, and uh, you know, they were taking all the all, all the finish line stuff oh. down when we got in. So, so yeah, it was a little disheartening, but it's also a reminder, like uh, there's, there's many different places I've been where, you know, I, I struggled through it. I got through it. I wanted to quit the whole time, but there's always a little bit of perseverance just to prove to myself that I could. So that's the one thing that I think throughout all the drinking and alcoholism that I had on my side, I was kind of stubborn a little bit. And, um, you know, you know, back to not completing Leadville the first time, it didn't matter how stubborn I was. I was just, I was not physically fit enough to, to pedal that far uh, in, in that altitude. But you mentioned some things that I'm actually working on uh, to this day and reacting is one of them. So I feel like when you react strongly to somebody, you have given them your power. You have given, uh, it, when you give them that smart comment back or you bark back at them real fast, you were you were completely surrendering the power you have in that conversation. You were no longer valid in that conversation once you lose your cool. Um, and sometimes holding that in is the true value. And that's the true lesson of when somebody gives you a nasty response is you being able to absorb that and not push it back to them. And that's actually something I, I, I wor I'm working on and I have not mastered. Um, you know, I will about every three or four weeks, I will give in. And uh, it's definitely an area of focus of mine currently. And there's a, uh, I've, I've read pretty much everything that Jocko Willink has put out, which if, if you know, uh, any leadership stuff, if anybody reads that, I think it's just absolutely amazing. You know, extreme ownership and leadership strategy, strategy and tactics. And there's a couple more dichotomy of leadership. And, you know, when you lose, like you were talking about losing that job, and you're like, man, I've lost. Like, what do I do? Good. Like, it's good. Like, mm -hmm. it, you you got time to get better. You got time to to adjust flaws that obviously either even if they were like you know internally political and you didn't meet the match, you can learn how to combat that in the future by taking even if it, an absorbent amount of criticism that you don't deserve, take it, learn from it, move on to it. Learn how to recognize it earlier and earlier stages, and, and you'll see if you belong in that situation or not quickly. It's, it's a, it, it may be a very expensive lesson, but it's going to yield a better life for you later. No, I mean, I, I agree, and I, I look back at it. I mean, and I would say, you know, of course, right after losing that, that job, and, you know, and it happened at the worst time that it could have happened in 2009 when the economy was just, you know, horrible, right? You know, and, uh, everyone was losing their jobs. Housing market was, was, was tanking. And, um, you know, I tried to start my own business, you know, and it, it was tough. It was difficult, but it allowed me, I had freedom, uh, to do what I wanted to do. And at that time, what I wanted to do was take care of myself as far as my health. And that's what got me into running and eventually into triathlon and, got me to where I'm at right now in the career that I'm in right now. So looking back at it, I can say, oh yeah, that was a good thing that happened to me. You know, 
um, at the at that time, you know, probably within you know several years, you know, after that, I couldn't see that. There was still a little bit of that negativity, a little of that, you know, why this happened to me, and I was, you know, as you, I've seen you, uh, you know, share this, you know, being the victim. But you know, after that, I was, I was like, it, it took me a while to kind of realize that, you know, things did work out better for me. I'm uh, happier. I'm healthier because at that particular job didn't allow me to do the things that I wanted to do to be healthy. I was, you know, um, God, I think I was, you know. I'm I'm like you know barely five six and I was like almost 180 pounds, you know, and wasn't in great shape. I wanted to be in great shape. I just didn't have the time. There was obviously stress associated with the job, and you know, leaving that, I had no more excuses. I had the freedom because I was my own boss to make my own schedule, to get up early if I wanted to get up, and and if I didn't get up, then it was then I had no one else to blame but myself, you know. If I didn't get that run in, then it wasn't oh because I got called in early or because I have to go in. It was like nope. I'm like I got nothing. I make my own schedule, you know. So that led me to kind of where I'm at now, and so it's a it's a better place. But still, there's a lot of that self-reflection and still kind of going back and and still, you know, we're, you know, we're all a work in progress, right? You know, we all have these sort of kind of, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, you know, whether it's, you know, inner demons or traumatic events or just past, you know, situations that, you know, shape us, develop us, and we choose what we want to, you know, do with that. And so the message of, you know, kind of, you know, reflecting inward and taking responsibility um, is, is good because I think a lot of us probably don't do that and maybe we should do that more often. And it's, it's like, uh, and you look at the any demographic, right? You look at any demographic, any cultural upbringing uh, from rich to poor to middle class, everybody has something. So you, you think, you know, your, your situation is, of course, has more gravitas than anybody else's does because you're living in it. You're, Right. Uh, like uh, I, I read a book, I think uh, Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life this year, and you were, life, you were 100% in, like, this is it, like, you you were 100% vested, you were in the game, and everybody has something, so when you're saying, well, all these people don't, this person doesn't have what I've been up against, this person doesn't, that's not necessarily true, you just don't know what they've been up against, and it's honestly none of your business, uh, right. your business is to focus on what's going on in, in, in your universe. And, um, you know, the, the funny thing you said is, you, we, you know, we're always reflecting on things where we, you know, might not have met the standard that we thought we were supposed to, but you tried, you, you, you gave it a shot. And a lot of people don't even give it a shot. Um, so differentiate yourself and, and taking some risk in your life. It, it may not be pretty and it may not be the way that you thought it would be, but at least you're involved. It's when you become not involved and you put it off or a little bit of yard work. Uh, I try to address, uh, I got a rule in my life. If it takes less than 60 seconds, I do it right then. Whether it's washing a plate, whether it's taking these to the trash can, these, these bubblies I've been drinking. Uh, if it takes less than 60 seconds, I do it right away. Mm -hmm. And there's 90% of the time I don't want to do it, but I do it anyways. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's just, it's, it's clearing up the clutter in my life that I found very effective. Um, people utilize different tools um, and, and they're all effective and they're all subjective and relative. 
No, I mean, I think that's, uh, that's great advice. Um, I think, uh, I think that's, that's sort of my strategy when it comes to email. <laughs> you know, it's like, what can I answer real quickly, get that and just, you know, and, and shrink that inbox. And then the stuff that takes more time, takes a little bit more work, I was like, that is going to require a little bit more work. Let me set some time aside to really kind of focus on it and, 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 and really do a good job of it or work on this particular project or this task that I know is going to take, you know, maybe a few minutes, maybe several hours to do, but in order to do it right, I want to focus on it. So let me get these other things that are potentially distractions that I, if I didn't take care of, may end up, you know, affecting the focus that I need to be working on this larger scale, you know, project. So, um, nice. So, um, so I was looking at uh, the stats for for Leadville. So anyone that, you know, we've said Leadville kind of generically, and, and Leadville, they have a whole series. I mean, they've got a trail runs and, you know, um, and mountain bikes and and gravel, I think. And, you know, so they do a, a whole bunch of stuff. And we're talking specifically about the, the mountain bike race that actually took place here in mid-August. And so, you know, Josh was able to complete it. This was your second attempt after, you know, not making it yet that first time several years ago. Congratulations to you on, you know, earning that buckle, right? Because they, they, they do a buckle, right, for the, for the, the mountain bike. I know they do it for the trail run. They do. Um, they do. So it's just there's two increments. It's, it's 12 hours and nine hours. Uh, I accepted a long time ago that I was not a nine-hour athlete or was I willing to train like one. So um, good, good on those people. Um, and then, of course, you have people that have done it for 10 years in a row and then people that have done it for 20 years in a row. And they, they, have this, uh, they have this true family there. And uh, there's another Atlanta athlete uh, that I absolutely adore, Nadia, uh, that I think is just she is she has ran several shots at Leadville and she learns something new every time. And her dedication to that, I just I want to acknowledge that. And uh, she always pre- impresses me. She was. When I, uh, so I'm climbing up Columbine, which is a seven mile climb. It's pretty nasty and it's long, long and never Mm -hmm. ends. And, uh, I knew Nadia was at the top and the first year she was, you know, in 2016, she was at the top at well, but I'd never made it to the top. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was, I I felt like a garbage can the whole way. Like I had some nutritional issues. I really played, I, I really played my cards poorly when it came to nutrition and many, many people say, you need to focus on nutrition. So here's, you were right and thank you. And I, I missed it. Uh, so I was sick on the bike the entire day, like it's nausea and fighting it. So luckily, but I did have, you know, physical fitness on my side. Um, and you know, I get up to the top of Columbine and Nadia's going crazy. She's absolutely excited. Like she, she always is just a good human in general. And, um, you know, I didn't like, like when I was at the top, I was like, I don't know if I can turn around and do another 54 miles. Uh, but I felt great after that interaction, you know, I didn't even take any nutrition. I, I zipped to the bottom of the hill and, and grabbed some, grab my outgoing stuff from, you know, my wonderful wife, Amy. And, uh, and I, I will tell you that be weary of women that are 50 to 60 years old that weigh about 120 pounds because they will drop you <laughs> and, and, and show you how climbing is really done. And, uh, I had this group of ladies that was probably in their mid fifties, just, that just destroyed me on power line. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm physically fit and no, there was something else. Um, so that's my, that's my warning to the general public is watch out for those ladies. They're fast. Um, but I, you know, it came down to the wire. I finished in 1149. I'm fretting the whole time. 
uh, power line took two hours to get back up. That was not planned. Wow. Um, that was not planned. Uh, it was it was a very humbling experience. There's five false flaps, just in case you need that knowledge later. And uh, there are five peaks there, and they're all nasty climbing. Um, but after, you know, the most iconic part is this part you can see from 20 miles away is, you know, the power line itself is like 22% grade. Of course, you conga line up that and people are hiking the bike, but the real shows after that, there's a lot of, there's a lot of riding left to do, but um, it was humbling. You know, I'm going into this thing. I was like, maybe I can get a 959. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm talking to myself, okay, well, sub 11, maybe. And then it was like, buddy, I'd, I'd be happy if I just finished. And uh, so those are the conversations. And there's 101 times climbing up Carter Summit when I, on the road, it was the road climb that I that just, you're out of gas, you're done. You're, you're completely smoked. And um, Goggins says, you know, when you think you're done, you're at 40%. So I, I kept that rule in mind and my body was feeling okay, minus the nausea. My legs weren't cramping. I started getting cramps about two miles out, but uh, my legs weren't cramping. My body was functioning. Uh, you know, my heart rate was fine. All of my vitals were okay. It was here that I was hurting. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That was the, end. the the athlete was there. The mind is what you had to whip in shape. Right. So I mean, because I, I I looked at some of the the you know the details for the race. I mean, it's over thirteen thousand feet of elevation gain over one hundred and five miles. And you know, for anyone that doesn't know what that you know is, I mean, because I to me the numbers is sort of like you don't really know unless you've actually have done something similar to that. So if anyone is, you know, uh, you know, a cyclist and has heard of, you know, six gap century, you know, that there is only 11,000 feet of elevation gain, but you're not at the same elevation. I mean, you're over, uh, I think Leadville is right at 10,000 feet of elevation, you know, of altitude. Um, so, you know, you're climbing up to, uh, what was the max elevation like? Thir- probably 13,000? It's 12 and some change. 12 and some change. Like 12.5 or 12.7, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, oxygen and just your breathing, if you're not used to training or not at that level, it becomes more difficult. And on top of that, you know, you know, six gap is a road, you know, century where this is completely off road. So you're traveling at slower, uh, you know, speeds. Um, probably some more technical sections and, and, uh, you know, obviously some rocks and some Rudy, you know, you know, areas. Was it, it, is there any single track at all, or is it more of a wide open type of course? There's probably, there's a lot of wide open, uh, amount of course, but there is, um, probably about 20 miles of single track. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, power line is probably the, the some of the most sketchier, uh, most sketchy stuff that you get into, but coming down, you know, 30 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour down Columbine uh, is also kind of crazy in itself too. Um, but as far as technical, it, it doesn't hit a lot of technical aspects, but there are some technical parts of the course that ruin people's day. But for the most part, it's a, it's a chunky gravel ride. You, you can't do it. Well, people have tried it on a, a gravel bike and I'm, I'm sure maybe a few people have finished it on a gravel bike, but it's not for the faint of heart on like it, it will it'll beat you silly. You definitely it would prefer a mountain bike on that for sure. 
Well, I mean, mountain biking in general is a, is, is a bit tougher just because of the, of the terrain. I mean, your upper body gets a lot more of a workout than you would on, than you would on a, on a road bike, you know, so it's a hundred miles road and a hundred miles, you know, mountain biking are completely different, you know, things. You get more beat up from that, uh, from a mountain bike, uh, you know, even with a front suspension, um, not to mention if you're on a hardtail, you know, um, and were you, did you have a hardtail or were you riding a dual suspension bike? I, uh, I bought a $2,500 truck and, uh, the first time I bought a $9,000 bike, which I had no business having, um, uh, you know, of course I was in the industry, so it didn't cost that much, but, uh, you know, per, per, perks, of, perks of working in, in the industry, which I think those people deserve. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I paid full price for a, a you know, the first bike I've ever paid full price for, uh, Trek hardtail and, uh, it did everything I needed it to. Like, I mean, I made some, some fit adjustments on it just, mm-hmm. just because I'm, I'm, I'm a fitter, but I made it able to ride a hundred miles very comfortably. Uh, so I, I took that out of the equation. I had had this picture when I went to the Leadville camp in 2016, Dave Weens was beside me and he was giving me a high five coming into town. And I just kind of looked at the bike fit that he had and he was so relaxed on it. And I was like completely, my pelvic girdle was completely tilted. I had all this weight on my hands. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know as much as I do about bike fit now. So I kind of went to the drawing board and, and made this bike, just an old man bike that I knew that I could ride for a hundred miles extremely comfortably. And the bike did amazing. Uh, you know, the, the rider could have, could have used some better nutrition and uh, maybe a little bit more training, but uh, we worked it out in the end. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we always want or think that the better the gear, you know, that we can, you know, get the better our, you know, our performance. I mean, I, I, I mean, I remember in, in, you know, doing triathlons, right. It was like, Oh, you got to get the most aero bike, the aero wheels, you know, and you're talking about zips and, you know, and, and, you know, lose and dropping weight on the bike and getting higher, and what you're getting is very, you're paying a lot for getting marginal gains. When if you actually worked on yourself, the, the actual, the engine that's propelling the bike, you would save a lot more money and get a lot more, you know, speed out of it. You know, you, you'd finish quicker and, and feel much better. Um, so that's one of the things that I've kind of learned as well. It's like, oh yeah, you know, the, the hand bikes, they look great and, and it'd be nice to have, but you know, it doesn't guarantee a, a great performance. It's all about, you know, you know, your training and, and, and kind of, you know, the, the dedication, the training and the commitment that you put into that training. But I know, you know, based on what I saw, you know, in your videos, it's not like you, you, you committed to the training. I mean, it, you know, it's just, you know, you were on the bike, you, you rode on, on, you know, out on, you did gravel rides, you did, you know, road rides, you put in the distance, you were on a training, you worked with a coach. So it's not like you didn't put in the work. It's just, it's just a whole level, you know, it's, it's, it's Leadville 100. It's just a beast. It's just not a, a race that you would, you know, take lightly. I did all the work and, uh, it was almost not enough. Like, uh, like I did the hours of 10 to 12 hours a week on the bike, saddle time, uh, all the, like I've got massive climbing out. For, I don't, so I, thousands of feet of climbing uh like i registered the all the long climb i have long climbs around here that are graded like power line are and and i rode up ski lifts 
Uh, so I did the due diligence. It's just, it's a nasty place. Yeah. <laughs> there's no, there's no, the, the, there's a respect that you will gain from that place very quickly. Um, and there's a community there that keeps people coming back. And uh, not to say that I'll never go back again, but I'm not eager to, to train like I did for Leadville anytime soon. Uh, of course, I, you know, I, I do have aspirations. The Continental Divide uh, sounds pretty amazing. Uh, I love backpacking. Uh, thanks to that introduction to the Appalachian Trail, um, I fell absolutely in love with it. And I love bikes already, so put the two together, that's a pretty cool deal um, for me. So there might be more backpacking adventures uh, for me. But in the last seven or eight years, I've kind of based all my vacations around events for me. And my, my wife wants to travel some too, so I've got a dichotomy to balance there. Um, and uh, maybe not plan adventures every single year for myself and, and, and do something uh, more involving of other people. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you need to take that a break, right, and sort of kind of, uh, you know, get that recovery and, you know, as much as I think you, right now I think it's Leadville still pretty fresh in your mind because it's been, you know, only, a, you know, it's been several weeks, but not quite a month yet. I think since since you finished, so you're probably not eager to, you know, sign up and and do another uh, hundred and then put your, yourself through that. You know, in addition to the to the training, but I do think you'll probably want to go back. Um, I think, and I mentioned this, you know, um, before we actually started and and turn on the mics that you know I've done some stuff in the past where I've done where I've been ignorant to what I was getting into, and so you know. Some of your, you know, what you said, you just reminded me of those conversations because the first time I you know, attempted a marathon was here in Atlanta. And I remember having those same conversations of, you know, having these unexpected, you know, goals of, oh, I'll finish under, you know, four hours or I'll, oh, no, you know, maybe that was the initially when I set out, you know, and, you know, you get a little cocky. I'm like, I've done the training. I feel pretty good. Maybe I can, you know, can I, you know, get a, you know, you know, maybe I can squeak a Boston qualifying time, which is never really going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. And then you start getting That's into a fast that. time. Yeah, it is a fast time. Um, and then you start getting into that, you know, you start sort of kind of like, okay, well, I just got passed by that one pace group. I was just ahead of that. I needed to be to meet my, 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 uh, my time goal. And then the other one passes. And then you're like, well, if I can just stay with them, you know, and then you, you know, I was at a certain point where I was like, I just want to finish. You know, I'm at mile 22, 24. I'm like, I don't care what my time is. I just want to finish. And I remember, yeah, the first time I signed up for a 50K and did my first ultra. Yeah, I'm like, well, I've done a marathon at this time, so let's just add a couple more hours, and I should finish in about six hours. Not realizing that I was doing it in North Georgia, up in the, you know, Blue Ridge Mountains and, you know, Blue Ridge, Georgia, and, you know, and... I didn't know what I was getting into. And I ended up, yeah, I think like, I think I got just under nine hours, you know? Um, and it was, it's humbling, you know, and uh, kind of what your body kind of goes through um, because you don't really know what you're getting into until you dive in and do it. And I think to a certain extent, you know, 
that ignorance for me has been good. <laughs> Otherwise, if I if I was if I truly knew what I was getting into, I may not have done it. So, if there's any any consolation of that is is sometimes not knowing uh, kind of opens doors and uh, you know you you're, you open yourself up to new experiences. So, um, you know, I'm hoping that. I don't, I don't, uh, I can't say that I'm, I'm eager to ride a hundred miles on a mountain bike. I've done 50 years ago. There's a, a ride down in uh, North Florida called the, I did a ride and that's a, a 50 mile ride. And, uh, typically it's the one time of the year where that part of Florida, the temperature drops to like 30 degrees. So, you know, yeah. For whatever reason, I did it for a couple of years, and it's like we would camp, and we're freezing. We're camping in 30-degree weather, 32-degree weather, and, of course, an hour into the ride, you know, you're shedding layers, and, you know, it, it warms up fairly quickly. Um, but uh, once again, didn't know what we were getting into. It was just a group of guys said, hey, let's do this, you know, and uh, open up to a, to a, a brand-new uh, experience. So as far as, you know, you said, you know, you're not ready to kind of get into, you know, Leadville anytime soon. Any other adventures that you're kind of thinking about and kind of, you know, putting your training to, to, to use? Uh, currently, no. Like, I, like I, I need more. I'll, I'll be back on the bike soon. It's just a, it's a part of my everyday life anyways, uh, or at least five days a week. But uh, I will be coming back on the bike uh, pretty soon. But there's definitely... Uh, I will hike the PCT as long as, as, as long as life of state sustains that. Um, so I definitely want to do the Pacific coast trail and, uh, whether it be 10 years from now, whether it be six years from now, 20 years from now, I have no idea. Uh, there's some bikepacking stuff that I want to do, but, um, you know, in the last few years, like when I was kind of, you know, buried into drinking, like I, I, I kind of ignored some relate some long-term friendships and relationships that, that luckily good friends stayed around me and, and that people that, that really invested into me kind of hung out and uh, I'd love to, I'd love to get some time in, in with them and not be so self-centered like I have been, but um, you know, I, I think adventure is just something I need uh, at least once every two years or once a year, preferably I, I start to get an ache for something. I don't know what will be next. Um, I know that I'll never run more than likely never run over 20 or over a marathon. Like I've done a marathon and that's for the birds. Uh, good luck on that. <laughs> uh, those are, I think runners are the real heroes uh, out of everything. Anybody that does distance and running has my instant respect. Um, but you know, being, being around people that love adventure, I, I think uh, kind of a circle back from when I was in Atlanta the people that kind of inspired me was a, was a group of older athletes. Uh, you know, you may, you're probably familiar with the tri-geek people like, uh, you know, you know, Mike and Pillman and Fox, like all those people, Rako. There's these wonderful group of athletes in North Georgia that just support each other. They meet every Wednesday, they do lunch and it's incredible. Uh, and, you know, they, they were initial uh, fuel for me and they kind of set off a lot of adventure. Um mm -hmm. In, in, in that group so i want to definitely give credit to those people back in atlanta and uh, i don't know what's next but it's the way it's been going the last 10 years there's definitely something coming up uh there's some long distance hikes i want to do like packing out like a pack raft and then float back 20 or 30 miles and some white water stuff will 
if I don't get eaten by an apex predator, uh, we'll see. <laughs> so that's the, that's kind of like the journey you were talking about, Albert. Like if it gets dark there, you're not alone. Yeah. There's there's apex predators there, and uh, that's not a that's not a good ending, especially when you were you were in the wild west, and it will take you. Um, so you got to be careful places like Albert. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Those, yeah. Before we started the mics, I was kind of sharing my story as to how I'd gone out and uh, out at Twin Lakes and uh, just outside of Leadville and trying to, you know, run up Mount, Mount Albert and uh, started late in the day, about noon. Didn't really realize, you know, how long it would take me to reach, uh, you know, the top. And then uh, was running out of daylight, so I kind of hoofed it back and made it with about thirty minutes worth of daylight. So, you know, once again, just being ignorant, not really knowing. The terrain uh it was a great run and uh you know but now i know better <laughs> but it's 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 it makes for a, a you know a good story uh at, at least and you know uh you know I, I feel kind of lucky that uh nothing actually did happen and i think uh those are those like i said those are those little bits of adventure and now i'm trying to be as as i get older i think i'm starting to you know learn to do a little bit more research you know adventure is good but you don't have to. You don't have to be ignorant and and and, and reckless. Well, you, you said something that I really loved earlier, like um, you know that 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 uh, adventure ignorance where you like you like I can do this, and then if you really knew what it involved, you wouldn't do that. So I, I say trust a little bit of that adventure ignorance and, and and take that leap of faith too. So there's you know there's a small balance there where you know you feel like a superhero and then where you can do it. And then you have the humbling experience during the journey. And uh, I don't know. I, I think I think you need that balance. I think you need that little bit of craziness or that little bit of lack of self-doubt or throw your inhibitions to the side momentarily and, and jump into something you normally wouldn't jump into. And not surprise yourself. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's where we get uh, some of the best lessons, right? Where we learn something about ourselves, right? It's always the journey that yields the knowledge. Exactly. It's uh, the destination. I said not long ago, I was like, there's not many things that I've, I've, I've like, I've accomplished and finished. And I was like, that was amazing as I thought it would be. Where I find the, the coolest things is, is, you know, being humbled on the side of the road when you run out of nutrition or a flat tire and you're 30 miles out and you, you can't call anybody because there's no cell reception. And I, I think those are the moments uh, are when you do see a bear or something crazy, like, you know, you have that that adrenaline rush and but it's a memory like as long as you get out of the good end of the memories uh i think that's where the good lessons are in my opinion and also failing the whole time like that i don't i don't think you have a true value of winning until you just hit the ground of just a tremendous amount of time well that yep it's through failure where we have uh we, we get the best lessons right amen to that all right. I'll, take it, I'll, I'll take it all day long with a little silver lining. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, thank you, Josh, for uh, for taking time out of your day and uh, to be on the podcast. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll wrap this up after this break. Big Peach now sells bikes at our Brookhaven location. Big Peach Ride and Run. We help get you into the right bike that fits you and your needs. Many of us enjoy being on two wheels as much as our own two feet. It's not only a great way to stay active and fit, it's also a great way to recover from long runs and also have fun. We carry kids, commuter, mountain, gravel, road bikes, and more, no matter what you prefer. With brands like Giant, Live, a division of Giant that makes bikes exclusively for women, and Momentum, we've got whatever bike you're looking for. 
Stop by and check out our selection at Big Peach Ride and Run located inside town Brookhaven or check out our inventory at BigPeachRideAndRun.com. And welcome back. And I want to thank Josh for really taking time out of his busy day to, um, you know, share his story, share some of the lessons that he's learned and hopefully things that we can all um, also learn from and, you know, just get better. Um, so thank you, Josh, for that. And, uh, you know, much, uh, you know, continued success with whatever uh, your next goal may be. Um so continuing uh, a little bit right now, like I said, we're, uh, you know, it's, it's October, we are heading into the fall months and, uh, and soon winter will be right around the corner. And one of the things that we tend to do, especially as cyclists, is we tend to hang up the bike and kind of, you know, hibernate for the winter. And, you know, it's something I've done where I have typically have only cycled in the warmer months, typically, um, you know, from October through maybe April, my bike has, you know, hung, uh, has been hung up and I've done uh, very little riding. Maybe I would take the mountain bike out, um, you know, during the fall and uh, that'd be the extent of it. So I would come back in the spring, really not in cycling shape. Maybe my running had improved. Maybe I'd, I'd, I'd done some longer, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, runs as far as, you know, maybe training for a half marathon, marathon, you know, over the winter. But cycling, I was never uh, in great shape coming into the spring. And it's one of those things that I have started doing. And you may have mentioned this when I said earlier when I was talking about Tour de Femme's Avec Zwift. Um, Zwift, Z-W-I-F-T, is this um, app um, that you can use, um, you know, on your mobile device, iPad or, uh, you know, computer, and even on Apple TV um, to where you sort of kind of, it's like a video game where you get to ride with other people in a community and almost like a virtual reality type of setting without having the virtual reality type of headset. You're actually staring at a screen and riding. And it's something that I've done um, to help kind of, you know, improve myself, continue the training. And um, it's, you know, they've got training programs in there to kind of help you improve. And if that's something you're, you know, interested in doing, you know, it's a great way to stay active, um, you know, over the winter months and at least continue cycling. That's something I've done even through the summer months, just because it's a little bit more convenient than, you know, having to load my bike onto a car and then drive to a location where it's, you know, safe to drive or safe to ride. So, um, you know, that's one way to kind of, you know, stay in shape. And of course, you know, in order to do that, you need a, um, what's called a smart trainer. And one of the smart trainers is, um, you know, it's called the Wahoo Kicker and there's a Wahoo Kicker Core. And of course those are sold at our Big Peach Ride and Run locations. And it's one of the ones that I currently use. And, you know, and just, uh, you know, full disclosure, this is not sponsored by Wahoo or Kicker. This is just me kind of sharing a little bit of my kind of uh, background and, and kind of what I'm doing currently for, for training purposes. But it's something that, uh, you know, you should, you know, maybe look into and consider if you want to come out of, you know, the winter months feeling stronger on the bike, if that's what you're doing. Or maybe you just need a, a break from running. Um, it's a great way of sort of kind of even doing a recovery type of workout because you're not pounding the legs, you can you know, easily just kind of zone out and spin for a bit. Um, or if you really want to be aggressive and follow a training program, you can really 
you know, focus on things like power and VO2 max and threshold and, you know, riding at different zones. So it's really up to you how you want to kind of, you know, tackle that. But if you're looking uh, for those type of things, you can, you know, go to Zwift.com, Z-W-I-F-T.com to learn more about that program. And of course, visit any of our Big Peach Run locations to learn more about the Wahoo Kicker. So you can kind of kickstart your training um, for the spring. Now, another great option, and it's something that uh, I started doing last year. It's been, this will be the 10th year, and it's something I always want to do, and I didn't really start doing it until last year, and that's the Winter Bike League, the Atlanta Winter Bike League. And I mentioned this in the previous episode, and so I want to focus a little bit more on it um, and just to share because this is another great way of kind of, um, you know, staying active during the winter, but also doing it, you know, with a community of other riders. And so it's a group ride. It's not a race. It's just a group ride. It's training rides and it starts on November 19th. And then it's, and then we meet every other week all the way through March. Now the first ride is an hour and 40 minutes. And then every ride afterwards, it increases by 20 minutes. So every two weeks it increases by 20 minutes. So, you know, first ride, it's an hour and 40. Second ride is two hours. Third is 220. You know, and by the end of it, in March, by the end of March, you should be riding, you know, the group will be riding four hours and 40 minutes. Now, that sort of kind of tells you kind of what the progression is like. And there are a lot of different, um, you know, groups um, as far as paces. So everyone starts and finishes at the same time. So no one's going out for a specific time. Everyone is riding the exact same amount of time. So it doesn't matter if you ride, you know, 20 miles an hour you're still riding an hour 40. If you're riding, you know, 12 miles an hour, you're still riding an hour 40. So everyone, you know, will go out at different, uh, you know, paces. Some will ride a little bit longer. Those that ride faster will obviously ride a little bit longer distance, but everyone, everyone rides the exact same time. So, you know, which creates a sense of community because this way it's, you know, and we all know we've all been at races or at rides where, you know, the fast people finish and they're long gone. And if you're one of the, you know, you know, middle to back of the pack, by the time you get back, there's no one else around. And it's just sort of doesn't feel great as far as a community. So this is a great way of kind of building up that community, interacting with others, and just truly having a good time um, doing a sport that, you know, we actually all love. And, you know, this is something that, you know, started by Robert Wilhite um, with MyCycleCoach.com. It's something that he does, you know, to, you know, sort of kind of give back to the community. And it's free, you know, and you get to learn how to ride, you know, well, he provides some coaching, um, you know, along the rides and, you know, you can talk to him beforehand and afterwards to, you know, get specific things that you want to work on and, you know, he'll work with you, you know, through the ride and, you know, one of the things that we're doing myself and Colby Bryant, who is our uh, sales and service manager with Big Peach Ride and Run, we're volunteers and we'll be group ride leaders out there. So please come on out. We'd love to see you and, uh, and uh, you know, kind of share our passion for cycling. And if you're just getting into it or you're an experienced rider, you know, you're all welcome. So just want to share that information because we're getting into that. We're still about a month away from the start of that ride, but I want to share this information as much as possible to let as many people know about this great resource. If you're wanting to ride in the winter, 
in a group and because I know that's tough, you know, to go ride by yourself in the winter is not enjoyable, but to do it in a group setting where we're helping each other out, where we're drafting off each other and we're, you know, in a pace line um, and we're encouraging each other and it's not a race, it's very supportive. And uh, I think that could, be, you know, be a game changer for people that have struggled to, you know, um, stay active or ride in the winter. So coming out that, um, you know, the meet, uh, we meet at, uh, 1010 white street or, um, what's known as West end or where wild heaven is and Finca to filter. So, you know, we meet at nine 30 AM. Um, that's the start of the ride. You can get there early. Finca to filter is open so you can get coffee and a bite to eat beforehand. Um, and when the ride's done, you know, we, we can, you can go back in and go to West End, um, you know, the Wild Heaven Brewing and have a beer, a burger or food just to kind of refuel afterwards. So, you know, ride starts at 9.30 a.m. So get there early. There's plenty of parking, which is awesome because parking is always, uh, you know, something that's hard to find. Plenty of free parking and bathrooms at the start. And that's something that is not... Uh, that is, you know, precious if you're, if you've ever been to a, a bike ride or any type of race start, um, these are actual bathrooms inside of Well Heaven. So they open up early uh, for us and that's, this is awesome. So please come on out and join us and uh, be great to kind of connect with you and, and, uh, and see you in person and ride alongside with you. All right. Uh, so, you know, it, you know, if you like this podcast and this new format, you know, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review or if you have a comment or suggestion, you could email me at podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com. Until next time, keep running, keep writing, keep believing in yourself. So long. Do you have a story or know someone with a story that can inspire, motivate, or even empower others? Email me at podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com. I want to share your story. Don't forget to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with others.